operating covenants. One of them, you know, that you would continue to cooperate on due diligence, conduct the business in the ordinary course. What's a no shop? That's exclusivity. So you just like the um, MOU, the NDA had it. Maybe exclusivity. When you sign the definitive deal, that means that okay, we have a deal with you as the buyer. We're not going to go and try to sell a company to somebody else. Now, in public transactions, the board has a fiduciary duty to maximize value until the stockholders vote on a deal, which comes later. So, in those cases, if you get a higher offer from another buyer, you can negotiate the right to engage with that buyer. And sometimes the original buyer has a topping bid, but in a private company context, those aren't, that's not relevant because you're just, you sign the deal, it's committed, and then you're getting the shareholder consents very quickly after closing. Hopefully at the same time as closing, so that you can do a simultaneous sign close. Uh, you know, there may be other key closing conditions you may want to, um, buyer may require you, look, I don't want this, I'm, I'm buying the whole company, but this, you know, this series of contracts, you, you have to terminate it, because I don't want to take lower. Um, or they might have really toxic, provisions in terms of licensing, in terms of what an affiliate of the target is subject to as far as obligations. That would include the buyer post-closing as a controlling shareholder of the target. So you have to go out and negotiate those. So there can be, that can be a reason to delay signing and closing also. Um, Does the seller give exclusivity to the one buyer during the due diligence period? Well, uh, well, it depends if, it, if it's if it's an auction. No, there's no exclusivity. Uh, if it's not an auction, then you've typically signed an, an NDA or an MOU that's totally non-binding, except for two things: confidentiality and the exclusivity provision. Those are really binding. So the seller can deal with many buyers at the same time. But not if it has the exclusivity. So if it's not exclusive, then yes. Okay. Well, there's the other confident, there's the other exclusivity. You will not negotiate with another compiler vendor to buy them while you're trying to buy me. That would yeah, seem to be almost never happen. Never given. I, I don't think I've ever seen that actually. Because they're just happy to be having the, uh, the prospect of selling the company. So these are the, this is a typical list of the buyer closing conditions that I mentioned. We've sort of already discussed these. Target, the seller also has closing conditions. They they give reps too. I got the money, I got all the consents I need, there's no conflicts. So their reps have to be true. They have to have gotten all um, necessary government approvals. The two key um, regulatory approvals are antitrust which means that um, if the buyer is aggregating a bunch of companies a certain industry and it's the deal is above a certain threshold, you have to notify the either the Department of Justice or the Fair Trade Commission in what's called a Hart Scott Rodino filing, HSR. Remember that. Ask your lawyer, do we have an HSR filing obligation? If you're above a certain deal size, you might, depending on the parties. What what is the deal size? Uh, it changes year to year, but there's um, there's a minimum. I think the minimum is 60 million, 60 or 75 million per 
And uh, it also depends on, um, there's a size of party and size of transaction test for that. The other key regulatory approval, which is very relevant now, um, is uh, CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United oh. States. If there's a foreign buyer who is acquiring control of a U.S. business that implicates U.S. national security, that gives rise to a CFIUS filing. By the way, control can be very, is, is actually very, has a very low threshold. So if you're raising money and you have a foreign investor and you're in a sensitive um, industry, Think about whether you have a CFIUS filing for the uh, for the investment, which is it's as low as control is as low as ten percent, one board seat or one observer right that counts as control. Um, for your purposes, most of you do software. Is that correct? Okay. So the key thing to remember in the software business: Are you aggregating PII, personally identifiable information, of your citizens. If you are, that is relevant for national security. Mm -hmm. So why? Because they don't want foreign parties having access to data of U.S. citizens. That's right. Which is why you know, when Alibaba tried to buy, sorry, Ant Financial tried to buy MoneyGram, for example, that was an issue. Or the, the one now where Kunlun was trying to buy the, uh, the gay dating, uh, I forget what it was called, Tumblr. They actually completed that transaction and the government is now requiring that it be sold. All right. Sorry. Yeah? Could you please go back to the previous slide? Mm. Um, could you elaborate the, um, the bullet number three? Bullet number three, completion yeah. of purchase price. Oh, oh, the next slide. Oh, the next one. Actually, let me talk about purchase price adjustment mechanism. This is like an earnout, except it's more common. Purchase price adjustment mechanism means that we look at the balance sheet as of uh, signing, or maybe there's just an unaudited balance sheet. They're just saying, okay, this is the purchase price. It's $100 million based on networking capital of X. And then they may complete an audit uh, after closing, and you do a purchase price um, adjustment. If it varies upper, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it can be either way. If it's if you're the seller, you want it. If it's higher, you want the credit for that. So it should adjust both ways. If you're the buyer, it's like no. If, if they miss the networking capital, and it's a defined term, you negotiate that. I get to hold uh, withhold money out of the escrow for that. You know, for the change. Okay. Does that make sense? You understand? Another question: um, Is there something to know if it's reverse? U.S. company buys a foreign company. Oh, um, well, there might be. Um, then it would be, you know, the case in the foreign jurisdiction that okay. they're allowed to buy. Generally, there's no um, U.S. There's no uh, outbound restriction on buying a foreign company except, and this is again, well, it's related to CFIUS, but um, if you are setting up a joint venture in a foreign country where you're tech, and you would be licensing your technology to that joint venture, there's the Department of Commerce has something called export control restrictions, mm -hmm. where if it's sensitive technology, you need to get a license to do that.
unless it's something called EAR 99, which is you don't have to get the license. Okay. Now you had a you had a question yeah, on the next So the as I as I mentioned, the main ones are Hart Scott Rodino antitrust or um, CFIUS. So so to to allow the transaction to occur, you notify the government agency and then they clear the transaction and then you can have your closing. You understand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. You mentioned the representations to um, acquired companies to get the what, what if the buying company <clears throat> you're you're getting their stock but then there are stock tanks and they didn't tell you that there's something bad that is about to come up. Yeah. Um, so in a stock transaction, uh, if the buyer is public, uh, and I'm representing the seller, I would want the buyer to give a representation, um, something called a 10B5 representation, which is an it's a basically it says there's no material misstatement or omission in any of our public SEC reports. So that if they're, you know, so so they, you know, if there's some event that they should be disclosing and then they didn't and they announce it or somebody, you know, the market finds out about it and the stock drops, that's one. The second thing is you might have a an adjustment mechanism in the deal document that if their stock drops, it's called a collar, if their stock price drops below a certain price, they have to give you more stock to the difference to basically gross you up so that it's still equal size. Those government are, are what they're um, needing to publicize, those are usually short term, right? But if they know uh, like one of their... Well, their if there's an extraordinary event, there's something called an 8K that they have to file, it, whether or not, you know, the, the normal ones are the 10Q that gets filed every quarter and the 10K. If it's something really important that's in between those, that's an 8K they have to file. But they might see something coming like a year down the road where one of their yeah. investor customers is going to go away and they haven't disclosed it to the public yet. Well, that's and it's not required by the government for them to disclose it, but you're going to get screwed. Well, so there's no liability for that then? Because unless it was disclosed and it was their obligation to disclose it in the contract, they don't have, there's no basis for liability. You might have a shareholder claim later if that comes to light, but you, you wouldn't have a claim under the acquisition agreement unless it was something they should have disclosed at the time of closing. Um, termination rights, you have mutual as well as um, either party um, being able to, to terminate. One that's very important, if, if the target suffers a material adverse change, so something between signing and closing happens and they like, this is, it totally affects the value of the business, the, um, buyer wants the right to, to um, terminate the deal. Um, we talked about post-closing post covenants before. We talked about identification. These are the bases for identification again. It can be exclusive or non-exclusive. As the seller, you want it to be exclusive. Um, the time period I talked about, again, the shorter the better, usually not, can't get less than a year, but um, the reason there's a range there, this is something I didn't mention before, um, 
one of the things you can do as seller to limit your risk is to say, okay, um, there are certain fundamental matters that if they turn out not to be true, you have a longer claims period. So there's a thing called company fundamental representations that are the equity structure, um, maybe the material contracts, maybe a few others that are counted as company fundamental representations. Defining those has two consequences. One, there's a longer claims period. Two, you would not be limited to the escrow as far as your liability for those. It would be up to the amount of your proceeds from the sale. Okay. Other reps and warranties might survive for 12 months, the shorter period, and the liability for a breach of those might only be the escrow. So you understand the distinction. If it's more important, and you made $100 off the sale, and you breached the rep, the buyer says, well, I shouldn't be limited to the escrow. It should be your, your pro rata share of the actual proceeds. Right? Where if it's something less important, okay, if it was wrong, it comes out of the escrow, and that's it, unless there was fraud. Okay? That's an important distinction. It's not necessarily intuitive, but it's important to keep in mind. Um, talked about the remedies. Um, there's something called the deductible, which is, you, you should ask your lawyer, what's the deductible, what's the basket? Um, so a deductible means that if it's a problem that's not above a certain amount, they can't claim. Um, there's something called a tipping basket where once it's above $100, they can claim for dollar one. So a true deductible is only above 100 a tipping basket means once you go above 100, they get it from dollar one. If it's so, they get the full amount of damages. Um, aggregate liability, as I mentioned, would be limited to the escrow full purchase price or no limit sometimes in in the event of fraud. Um, that's it. Here's, you know, here's some information about Morrison Forster. Any questions? need to have two questions or three questions before you. Yes? You've been in business a long time. Mm. How many years? Uh, since 1991 as a lawyer. So almost 30 years. Yeah. I was involved with your company back 